When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Between 75 million and 200 million people died in the most devastating pandemic ever. The Black Death or plague caused social, religious and economic upheavals that had a profound effect on the course of European history. The plight of the lower and most of the middle classes was even more pitiful to behold. Most of them remained in their houses, either through poverty or in hopes of safety, and fell sick by the thousands. Since they received no care and attention, almost all of them died. Many ended their lives in the streets, both at night and during the day, and many others who died in their houses were only known to be dead because the neighbours smelled their decaying bodies. Dead bodies filled every corner. Most of them were treated in the same manner by the survivors. A gruesome description of the Black Death by the 14th century Italian author Boccaccio. But how did the Black Death come about? Did it affect particular populations? And for how long did it ravage society? I'm Rob Weinberg, and to find out more about this horrific period in history, I've been speaking to Dr. A.L. Poleg at Queen Mary University of London. This is How and Why History. A.L., thanks for joining us. How did the Black Death come about? The Black Death was a huge pandemic that swept across not just Europe, but Asia and much of the known world at the time, in the 14th century, decimating medieval population. How many people died? We don't know exactly because there are no census. There was no other census of the medieval population. But estimations talk about between 40 and 60% of the population. So this means tens of millions of people. So how and where did it start? The plague started in northern China and inner Mongolia and spread gradually both to China itself and then westwards along the Silk Road into Asia, across Asia and into Europe. It ruled in the 14th century, although different plagues existed in different times. So what caused it? This is complicated. Plague was dormant in these areas for a very long time and erupted periodically. This is still is the situation today where the Black Death, Yersinia pestis, has not been completely obliterated from the world and there are still plague reservoirs across the world, most importantly now still in northern China, in Madagascar and in the Rocky Mountains area of the US. 
where people still get the plague every once in a while. Presumably it's treatable now. With good doses of antibiotics primarily, yes, but there are fears of a recurring plague. So it moves across Europe and is the effect of the plague equally devastating everywhere through which it moves? No, some places are spared and some places are hit harder. But what's important to remember about the plague is that the plague doesn't just come at one time. It appears repeatedly throughout the later Middle Ages. So its first major outbreak in Europe is between 1347 and 1352, but it comes again and again and again throughout the later Middle Ages ending only in the 17th century. And this is one of the really horrific things about the plague, because imagine living in the Middle Ages and knowing that in your lifetime, at one point, the plague would come and would ravish the population. And what carried it? This is a great question, and this has been the topic of much debate among historians. Traditionally, people assume there'll be the fleas that live on the common rat, whose Latin name is nicely ratus ratus. But there's been some problems with this understanding of the plague, because in order for the fleas to infect humans, first of all, the rat needs to be infected, need to infect the flea, but also the rat would need to die because the flea would prefer a rat host, and only then move to human, infect them, and so on and so forth. This is a quite slow transmission process. And this is the kind of epidemic that was seen in the 19th century in the Far East. However, the spread of plague in the 14th century does not correspond to this kind of transmission. It spread too fast. And to places like Iceland that had no rats. So how could you explain that? In the course of the 20th century, different historians had offered different explanations for the plague and its rapid spread, looking at it in all sorts of elements, even looking at smallpox or anthrax. However, at the beginning of the 21st century, new conclusive evidence has emerged. Excavations in plague pits, especially in London, have unearthed hundreds of skeletons of plague victims. We know they're plague victims because they're buried in long trenches during plague time. New scientific analysis of mitochondrial DNA taken from the pulp of the teeth from these skeletons enables scientists to reconstruct a pathogen and to try to figure out what the Black Plague was. It revealed that it was plague, it was the Yersinia pestis, but it spread faster than only being carried on animal vector, which means we needed to look to different ways of transmission. And this actually corresponded with various manifestations of the plague. The bubonic plague is carried by the fleas of rats, but it can evolve into pneumatic plague and septimatic plague, in which case humans would infect humans quite rapidly. And this actually corresponds better to descriptions we have in medieval chronicles about how one person would infect the other and how infection was carried very, very quickly, which corresponds with this form of infection and not the rat-carried vector. And how would it be transmitted between humans? Was it spores? Cough, things like that, yes. What were the symptoms then for people who contracted the plague? 
sudden high fever, headaches, chills, and swollen, painful lymph nodes at the groin and the arm seat, the buboes, which gave the name to the bubonic plague. Some of them were black, and that was the reason that we call it the Black Death, which, of course, is not a medieval term. At the time, it was just called the plague or the great pestilence. To what extent did war or famine or even the weather contribute to the spread of the Black Death? Well, this is one of the problems historians have been wrestling to figure out, because why did the plague spread so rapidly? Had to do both with the vector, but how was it so successful? Plague existed before. What happened in the mid-14th century that enabled the plague to really decimate European population? In the last few years, historians primarily Bill Jordan and Philip Slavin, have looked at reasons for the success of the plague in earlier decades, looking at the climate change and the great famines earlier in the century. So in the 1310s, the climate fluctuation, huge amount of rain, little sun, difficult winters, caused repeated harvest failures, which led to mass starvation across Europe. It is estimated about 10% of the population died in these years. But worse than that, the combination between harvest failures, malnutrition, and murren, meaning the death of animals, led to radical transformation of medieval diet and to the undermining of the immune system of a whole generation, which is the very same generation that was hit by the plague three decades later. How was the plague interpreted or explained by religious leaders, for example? They knew nothing about microbiology, of course. So they had to figure out for themselves what is happening there. The immediate answer was a religious one. It was God's will. And they saw it as a punishment from the heavens for man's sins. Their response was to be prayers, asking for forgiveness, and mass pilgrimage, which is the complete opposite of modern scientific remedies, because whereas today with the rise of the corona, people are instructed to isolate themselves, in the Middle Ages, if the plague was coming, you were instructed to congregate to the very same places, like Santiago de Compostela or Canterbury, to important shrines of important saints who could pray on your behalf to God. So rather than isolating oneself, you would join everyone else in processions, which of course helped spread the plague even further. The violence of this disease was such that the sick communicated it to the healthy who came near them, just as a fire catches anything dry or oily near it. And it even went further. To speak to or go near the sick brought infection and a common death to the living. And moreover, to touch the clothes or anything else the sick had touched or worn gave the disease to the person touching. This corresponded also to scientific explanations of the plague. And we have a treatise, for example, from the University of Paris, which showed the reason for the plague in the movement of stellar bodies and astrology as a prime cause in the rise and the influence of the plague. Were any particular groups of people blamed? Yes, this was a common coping strategy in medieval society, accusing religious minorities of harm that befell them. 
and first among these groups were the Jews. Jews were the only licit religious minority in most of Europe, but they were not tolerated and accepted as equals, and they were often discriminated against. And this also came to the fore at time of plague. And especially in Central Europe, Jews were persecuted time and again during plague times, and entire communities destroyed and people massacred. What were the social and economic implications of the Black Death? Well, this is actually quite surprising because for those who survived the plague, life was better because there are less people around and more wealth. So for individuals who were able to survive the plague, they suddenly had better standards of living. They could charge higher salaries, for example, for the workers. They could have finer clothes and all of that. Of course, the government did not approve of that. And the king passed several rules, the statutes and the ordinance of laborers, trying to cap wages at a pre-plague level to stop the population and the lower classes of demanding too much. We also see that with women, because women did not have full legal rights in medieval societies. But at a time of plague, when a lot of the men were dying, suddenly we see more women in positions of power. Was the plague discriminating in terms of class? Did it equally affect the ruling classes as it did the mass of the population? Well, we know of people from all strands of population dying. However, there are different coping mechanisms. So the nobility, a lot of time, would flee the populated town, the populated and plague-infested towns, and go to the countryside, to their villas, which gave rise, actually, to one of the most beautiful stories of the Middle Ages, Boccaccio's De Cameroon, which tells the story of a group of noble men and women who live plague-ridden Florence and go to the countryside, sit in a villa, and then tell wonderful stories to one another. The plague actually was discriminatory in another way, because different waves of plague targeted different parts of society. So, for example, the first wave affected men more than women, and we think it's because of iron levels. Women have iron deficiencies after childbirth and because of their menstruation. Subsequent plagues, for example, targeted children, for example. We have one horrific episode in England when we know children were dying more than anyone else. One citizen avoided another. Hardly any neighbour troubled about others. Relatives never or hardly ever visited each other. Moreover, such terror was struck into the hearts of men and women by this calamity, that brother abandoned brother, and the uncle his nephew, and the sister her brother, and very often the wife her husband. What is even worse and nearly incredible is that fathers and mothers refused to see and tend their children as if they had not been theirs. How long did it take for the Black Death to die out? You said it's still around in some places, but generally speaking... In England, the last wave of plague was just before the fire of London in the mid-17th century. So we're talking about 300 years of plague. How long did it take then for population numbers to regain their levels as they were pre the Black Death? 
We have only estimations of numbers of people during the Middle Ages, but our best records suggest that we can see a peak of the population just before the calamities of the 14th century. And then a the population dips, and because of the plague and because of recurring plagues, it does not fully recover until the middle of the 18th century. What do you think is the lasting lessons that history gives us as a result of the Black Death? I think one of the interesting things, and this may be relevant for the recent corona outbreak as well, is to see that even in the most horrific times, and you cannot imagine more difficult times in time of plague, when something between 40 and 60% of the population is dying, society did not break down. People still lived and still treated one another reasonably. And this is, I think, is a very encouraging lesson. Hey, Alpole, thank you very much. For You're welcome. How and why history? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.